Board Game Kiki, Episode 6. Today we are talking about our thoughts and experiences at Origins Game Fair 2019. Hello, and thank you for downloading Men on Board. My name is Aaron. This is Josh. This is Matt. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's other Matt, in case any of you are wondering, but yeah. it's just Matt for today. Also Matt. known as the other. <laughs> no, just the other Matt with two okay. T's. <laughs> I'll call you the other if you want. <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> this so, is a lot of what Origins was like, actually. Yeah. <laughs> So, as we usually preface these, this is one of our Kiki episodes. This is the Men on Board podcast. You have not accidentally downloaded the wrong feed. We have not been hacked. This is still us. But whenever we have something that we want to go outside of our normal format, we call it Kiki episodes. And that's what you're listening to right now. I just have a Kiki. You call it Kiki episodes. (laughs) So, we'll be Kikiing with Josh today about Origins, which we just got back from. It is the Thursday after Origins. So, we've had a few days to let everything sink in. Uh, if you hear a any sound in the background, that is the tornado that's possibly <laughs> happening in Pittsburgh right now. I'm not quite sure, uh, but any background noise can be attributed to the weather. So let's start off with just some general thoughts about uh, the convention in ge- some general thoughts about the convention in general. You know, just really throwing out some stellar <laughs> really English. Cover all your bases. Mm-hmm. Can we just all say before we begin? We all universally love Origins, right? Yes. It's great. So in case any of you guys out there haven't been, highly, highly recommend Origins. We love it. Have a great time. That's my first impression, first and foremost. Yeah, so our two conventions that we go to are Origins and PAX Unplugged. Um, They're two very different conventions. They're of similar size now, uh, but with PAX Unplugged, and this could just be completely our style of how we convention with Pax Unplugged, we're just like locked in on the convention center, just game, 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 game. And at Origins, it's less kind of intense, like everything's spread out a little bit more, and we get, go outside the convention center from time to time. Uh, so, Origins for me is just like our time to go and have fun. It's like a little retreat where we're away from our lives and just playing games, enjoying life, enjoying each other, you know. Yeah, friendship way. I think what makes Origins, and I didn't go to PAX last year, so I don't really know the experience there, but Origins being, you know, we get there Thursday, hopefully early afternoon or morning, and then we're there all day Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then, you know, half of Sunday. So there's a lot of time, even though it goes by really fast, I feel like cramming that into Friday, Saturday, and, and Sunday when you're getting half a Friday and then probably half a Sunday there. It's, it's definitely more of a pressure cooker. Yeah. I mean the time helps, but just something about the atmosphere there. Like I, I don't feel rushed. Like even when it's like busy, I don't feel kind of like forced or there's no real like pressure to like be doing something like it never feels like you have to do this or you're not doing the convention. Right. So I think origins for me and maybe this year more than other years, always feels a little bit like a discovery. I never quite know what I'm going to find at Origins. There, It's not like other conventions where there have, have been or are going to be big name game or big games that everyone knows about or are talking about released. It feels to me like a lot of smaller publishers, um, a lot of game designers and creators kind of like 
testing the market because I know it's before the big release schedule sort of hits in late August, September time. So it, it's always just a little bit like a preview. So I just go into it with an open mind. And I think this year, especially Chris and I really slowed things down and like took two almost full days just walking the aisles of the vendor hall, literally stopping in almost every booth, chatting to people, playing a little game, maybe sitting down for a full playthrough, playing a short round, like taking some pictures. And it just was a really nice pace of unhurried stuff. And then by the time that hall closes, you can kind of wind down in the evenings, meet back up with your friends, play some longer games. It's really great for all of that. And I had a really great time doing that this year. I was hoping that we were going to have the numbers for the attendance, uh, which I can't find. I don't think they're released, but who knows? Maybe it just mm-hmm. wasn't. Uh, my Google foo was off, but it did feel bigger this year, especially on Saturday. Saturday felt much more crowded than it normally feels. There were a lot of people with Saturday only badges, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I played games with a few of those people, and I just thought, man, I can't imagine being here for only one day because even though like we've said about it it being not like a pressure cooker there's still so much to do and that i want to do if i was only there for one day i would definitely would would leave feeling like crap yeah <laughs> i i would feel really cheated if i didn't yeah get a full experience i like i remember the first time we went when we didn't give ourselves enough time and we were both like oh my god there's so many more things i want to do and see and it was way smaller then and even this year with some there was so to recap a little bit, there were actually some big-name vendors that weren't there this year. Um, but I didn't feel the size of the show was impacted at all, and I felt like the crowd was just, you know, as large as ever. So I, I was happy to see Origins grow, or I think it grew, in my opinion. It's always hard to gauge to Saturday, because in case any of you guys don't know, Origins also happens during the Columbus Gay Pri- um, GLBT Pride Parade. Um, so there's just huge crowds of people always outside the convention center, because the parade is directly outside the convention center. So it just... It feels really busy and and big, but really lively, and, and it has a really nice atmosphere, I think. I feel like there might be a small chance that that won't happen next year. I saw the dates did shift a little because bit. I saw that. Origins is now the third week in June, mm-hmm. and it's been the second weekend. And now I, so I have a feeling that we might not have Pride, which sucks, but also in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know what? It'll make going out to eat easier, especially when we try to go to dinner on Saturday and we have to fight through... The giant crowds of drunk people that are just all on the streets <laughs> yeah. yelling at each other. I really want to hand it to Origins because I think they really streamlined the uh, check-in process this year. Definitely. Getting my badge was the easiest it's ever been, yep. which I really appreciated. And we didn't do any events this year just because last year doing events was a nightmare. But from everything I heard from other people, they really cleaned up that system. Mm-hmm. So that makes me want to actually try to get uh, some events again next year because... This year, I just didn't feel like dealing with the headache. We just need so this is my this is one of my few feedbacks to Origins a searchable database of events that I can be like I'm interested in this or that I, I have a hard time like the events book at Origins is huge and I really appreciate they print out thousands of them I think it's crazy because I feel like very few people actually use them there has to be a better system than like that massive book that is hand to you because I don't have time to digest that thing. And I, I know it's out there beforehand, but I just find it really hard to access for whatever reason. So the system does allow you to search it. It wasn't perfect when I used it, but everything I heard this year made it sound like the events, uh, the online event sign-up was a lot better this year. So I think that they have implemented that. I just haven't experienced it firsthand. Cool. The one thing that I do hope they fix next year, and I don't want them to have to go to like a Gen Con style lottery system, is just the hotel situation was a mess this year. Um, by the time we, I, I actually took a morning off work, I think, in order to book uh, the hotels for us. 
And by the time the block had opened, hotels at the Hyatt and all the closest um, or rooms at the Hyatt uh, where we wanted to stay, where we had stayed previously, were all booked up. Because apparently, while Origin said that the block didn't open until later, they actually had opened a lot sooner. So uh, that's one thing I kind of hope is that the hotel situation gets worked out a little bit next year. Yeah. One thing, too, I really... So this goes back to Origin's overlapping pride, but whether it is the case or not... Near my registration badge, when I got there, there were gamer and ally ribbons put out right next to them, which I loved having right when you got your badge, because almost everyone at the convention was sporting some sort of a gamer or ally badge, which was just really mm-hmm. a nice thing to see. And I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but like as a member of that community, it felt really great and inclusive. It felt really comfortable and welcoming. Like I think that's one of the things I really liked about Origins, because I always feel like it's kind of like a little bit of a homecoming. I see old friends that I've known. Now, you know, I run into people that run booths and some game designers that I know, and it's just a nice place to kind of be yourself. And it's almost, you know, I was talking to Chris a little bit about his impressions, too, and he was saying, I really like that there's almost little tribes, like there's the D&D people, or the people that just do collectible card games, um, and the hardcore board gamers, the people that want to role play all night. But everyone sort of has their own thing that they move through, and those spheres are all really coexisting, and it was just a nice thing to see. Yeah, I completely agree, because I remember when I first... I think it was when we first went to Origins. I did have a little bit of hesitation because that was my first experience within the broader board gaming hobby. So I I didn't know what the amount of inclusiveness was. I didn't know how accepting everyone was. Mm-hmm. So just to have even just that symbolic uh, gesture for... Uh, gamma to do by having all those ribbons there right when you're checking in it feels that's great. awesome yeah, yeah it, felt it really, really makes you feel good like thank you it gamma makes you feel that. welcome yep mm-hmm. yeah. the nice thing that i felt about origins this year was that i ultimately decided that it did feel like there was more open gaming space it didn't feel like that way at first because <laughs> yeah. uh, we had read things about how origins was going to have all these covered tables and like had increased all the open gaming space and when we walked in it was all taken up by the boardroom. Um, and if you haven't been, the boardroom is their lending library where you can uh, pay $20. It's run by the Columbus Area Board Gaming Society. I think that's what it stands for. It's CABS. Uh, but they run all that. And they had a huge amount of space with these like really nice mats from Game Toppers. Uh, and it looked really great. But that was the only... It, it just seemed like that had taken up all the open gaming space. Uh, so that was a little bit disappointing. But then as we started to wander and go a little bit further away from the convention center, we found a huge room by the deception rooms where it was just yeah. nothing but tables to play games. Uh, so that was really nice, except for the weird things on the ceiling that felt like if they fell that we would die. I think there are other breakout spaces, too. I just don't think we like we kind of go to our fixed route. And I know in that like if I were to look in that map, there's a lot of words for things that I just don't know what they are like I, I assume the deception room was a place they were playing you know deception games or two rooms in a boom or werewolf all night long and there were a bunch of spaces like that so i i think just maybe knowing where those areas are and maybe like having time to do a quick loop of everything beforehand to be like all right this is the after hours place or this is where i want to go for that because that's the part of origins i really still feel like i don't know much about yeah well, and that in true dungeon yeah well, those um the origins after dark ribbons sell out every year yeah mm-hmm. What like, do they do? I don't, I don't know what that does. I, I don't. Is that? I don't know if that's part of the deception room. I think that's a whole separate. I thing I think it's itself. a separate thing too. Because there is a giant banner that's in the bar, that's in the Hyatt, that has like or, the Origins Night thing mm-hmm. on it. But I feel like we were either in the bar before that time or way after that time. Yeah. Uh, which would have been two years ago. But um, 
No, I'm glad we found that open table space because trying to find a table somewhere else is, I feel like, nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. That is good enough to actually sit down and play a game at. Um, I do really next year, my goal is to go into that deception room and play like a hundred yeah. games of werewolf. Yeah, me I'd too. go. That sounds they great. were also playing the two rooms in a boom on the room we walked mm-hmm. through, I know, because I was watching them all scream at each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just that's the problem at Origins is that we just want to, there's so much to do there and we never have enough time to do it all. So maybe yeah. next year we'll try that. I think next year we just got to be like, this is the year that we're going to do the deception room. And we, we do that. And then maybe the next year we do something else. We did way better at not bringing too many games, though. Yes. Yes, like we absolutely that, did. Yeah. In years past, we used to like haul giant Ikea bags yeah. and like full set <laughs> bags of games back and forth from our car never played them yeah maybe two like maybe two or three we'd have time for we'd always just bring every game we could possibly God, ever want like, to play what if, this, what if we need this yeah we might need this it's a we just need to play relic runners that, <laughs> might, that might happen <laughs> we need to play this six hour game guys yeah <laughs> we learned we learned a lot well speaking about playing games yeah why don't we talk about some of the games that we actually did play at origins Josh, I felt like you played so much this year. I, I did play a lot this year. Like, I I feel like my head just spun. I played a lot of smaller games, and I have to say Origins and Game Designers out there, I played with a lot of Tetris-shaped cubes. <laughs> we could ease off the Tetris-shaped cube design. Like, the polynomial thing is going a little bit crazy right now because I feel like every third game I came to was some variation on make a shape, fill a grid, optimize something within a geometric pattern and i was just like wow this is a lot the one that stood out to me though i will say though was calico an adorably themed game about luring cats to sleep on the comfiest parts of your quilt (laughs) shout out to game that will be kickstarted at some point but um just really really cute looking game that was my polynomial standout game of this year but yeah we did play a bunch of games yeah so that game was calico and it's going to be coming to kickstarter by a company called flat out games i believe Matt, I feel like Josh was ripping on polynomials, and I feel like you will have thoughts about that. Which is hilarious, because both the games, I should even say three games, technically. I bought Arile, which is a polynomial game, by Pandasaurus, I believe. Uh, I played Second Chance. They were sold out. That was from Stronghold, yeah. And then also played Cartographers, which I have pre-ordered from Thunderworks. Mm Yeah. it definitely was my year for polynomial games. <laughs> but I think that's actually Josh's fault because Josh has introduced me to those games. <laughs> um, and I'm, I can't... My mind, no, I can't remember the name of the game that you have that we've played. Okay. It's not so much polynomial, but it's like, you know, you're, you're writing and you're having to fit things down. Oh, the route building one? Yeah. Or Welcome To. Welcome To is the house one. The route one is... But, uh, the route one is Avenue. But yeah, no. I think out of all three of those, I'm most excited about cartographers cartographer might be an s on it i like it because it's set in the role player universe even though it's oh i didn't realize it was actually set in that universe yeah um i just liked it because it's like one of those it's it's really simple but there are still goals that you're trying to reach and those are the ones that score whereas a and second chance are really like really just fit these things together as best as you can which are both still really fun, but at least cartographers, you have a set goal in mind of what you're trying to fit in where, and you have to try to manipulate your board as the game goes on because you're going to score the different goals at different times. Yeah. And so jumping off your roll and rights, I finally found a roll and write game that really 
captured me, or I don't know if that's the right phrase, but whatever. I don't know that I know this. Oh, it was uh, on tour. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, yeah, we played enough of it. My, yes, of course. Yeah, so on tour is from boardgametables.com of all places. I think it's their first <laughs> published game, but it is a roll and write game where you are uh, planning out the tour of your band, and it's fun because it comes with these nice dry erase boards. You get to name your band. They have very nice colors. Um, the artwork's really cool. But the way you play the game is you are rolling a set of dice. And uh, whatever numbers come out, you'll have a three different cards you can choose from. Each card will have a region of the United States, as well as one particular city within that region. You have to take... They're actually not cities. They're just the states. Oh, yeah, they are. They aren't even all states. Some of them are New England. Yeah, some of them are just areas. And uh, what, was, what did we find out the one was? Mid-Central? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, it's not. It's just that they'll have just certain states within that region. Uh, but anyway, you will have uh, the option of, so let's say you roll a, roll a 7 and a 4. You'll have to write 74 in uh, one of the regions or particular states that's shown on the card, and then 47 in the other. And then you continue doing that until you filled up every space on your board. At the end of the game, you have to draw a route, and you have to go from one city to another city that's of equal or higher value. So a lot of times you'll have really great plans that you think you're going to fill in, but eventually you'll realize that you're probably not going to get three numbers between 65 and 70, even though it really seemed like you might have during the game. But it's a lot of fun. I I looked at that at Kickstarter, and I kept thinking about Kickstarting it, and ultimately didn't. So as soon as we played it, I immediately went over and bought a copy because it was really quick, really fun. We played it a lot. Too. Yeah, it was. A, we we played. We got our value out of that game already. Yeah, it's gonna be my go-to filler for a while. Those a lot of those were lighter games, and I there were a bunch of games that I saw. I really enjoyed. So my friend Connor designed a game that came out. Um, it's a trick-taking game called Gorus Maximus. Uh, the theme's a little bit weird, but it's really a solid trick. Um, taking game if you like card games, but it plays two to eight, which is what I loved about it. Um, going to heavier games, though, I saw two Euros that interest me that I was really excited about. There's a reprint of Sands of Egesia, Egesia, um, like an Egyptian game about the Nile flooding up and down, sort of worker placement, um, area control. You're sort of there's five or six scoring mechanisms that work in the game. The board looks beautiful, really. Like Chris and I basically just looked at the board and were like. Oh, this is obviously how this game works. Like, great graphic design. Um, so I think I kickstarted that. It's coming out soon. And then Crown of Emera, which was really well-received and came out um, in Germany last year, is just finally being printed in the United States soon. I might have ordered a copy, <laughs> copy from Amazon Germany um, <laughs> because they're the same. But So that was, a, I believe, a Spielworks title. I'm not sure about the publisher for that one, though. But they both looked great. The board's really interesting. Um, that game has like a dual mandala mechanism working that you're advancing two scoring tracks and you're going to win the lowest at the end of the game. Um, so it's like kind of, so you're sort of working two sections of the village, um, to optimize your points. And it has a cute theme about like nobles, some ruler died and you're sort of trying to manipulate the like succession line and gain favor. It, it looks really interesting. Was that the one that you were describing to me as almost like two separate games where you're yep. like taking resources from the one yeah. and then using them in the other? Yep. That sounds so... And you did order that? I did. So going back to what Josh was saying about heavy games, I think one of the two heaviest games I played was Pipeline from Capstone Games. This is another one that I was following its Kickstarter and ultimately decided to wait 
uh, we sat down. I think it was the very first demo we played, and immediately I bought it because it was just so much fun. Uh, it has Eno Tool art, which I've been on record as Eno Tool is my favorite artist, uh, which is probably a super popular opinion in the board game hobby because his art is everywhere. But Pipeline is it's an action selection game where you are creating your own oil pipeline. And you're using the different tiles uh, to create this long network of pipes. And you're trying to create a long network. So the, the length of the network determines how much you can refine particular oil. And it's an economic game. Uh, the demo described it as power, power grid without the math, which it, I haven't played enough power grid to really figure out if I, if I feel that's true or not. But it was just a ton of fun. Uh, the funny thing about that game, though, was it is heavy because it takes a while to teach it. But the teach time versus the actual play time was pretty close for us. Hmm. Granted, our teach also included punching out the game and setting up the game. Oh, all right. Um, so once you actually know it, it is a very fast game to play. The actual teach of it, though, that was a little bit intense. But it's a fast-playing game once you get going. Um, another fast-playing game that I think we all enjoyed was Call to Adventure. Yeah. Uh, yep. That was a great yeah. one. I think I went out and ordered it instantly. Aaron bought it instantly. Like, just really cool, almost, like... Not even really an engine building game, just a little card crafting, like almost story based game. Um, not overly challenging, just a fun, light thing to play with a couple people. You basically like get a character, get a story and a destiny, um, and then just kind of acquire traits over the course of that character's life to sort of maybe reach your de- reach your destiny. And it's really, it's not who succeeds or who fails. It's just who did it better. Yeah, like the the scoring mechanism is who who did more memorable things in their character to develop their character better for the story. So by the end of that game, I really felt like I had had this cool experience with this character that I liked a lot. And Chris had the exact same thing. We did totally different things in the game, but Chris definitely did do it better than I did. Like he, he made better choices for his character. And I was like, yeah, that does feel like you outplayed me in this arbitrary game. And the cool thing about that is something I, I say all the time is that people felt like they wanted to tell their story Mm -hmm. because the game tells you at the end to like narrate your whole adventure but you know people weren't as into that but when it came to the individual choices you had to make people were saying it from within their character which i appreciated yeah i think you could get you could really enjoy that game playing it both as a competitive game but also if you're just like i just want to craft the perfect character um, I feel like we have friends that are really into that sort of thing and they'd sit down, they would lose that game every time, but they would love playing it because it's, it's all just telling a story. Mm-hmm. I was such a bad person. Were any of you corrupt in yours? Matt was. I was super evil. I was the first super time. evil. Every time that something bad came out, I was like, I gotta do it. I did terrible um, things. It helped that my end goal was to be super evil too. So though. was mine. So, so that was Call to Adventure, which is by Brotherwise Games. Yeah. If I'm going to throw out a heavier game, I think it would be Underwater Cities. Oh, that would, that Which, is one I was so excited to play. Yeah. Um, I really wish that uh, we were not in crunch time to go to Hot Chicken Takeover. <laughs> Love that chicken, by the way. Shout Priorities. Out, shout uh, out to Hot Chicken Takeover. So we, we did sit down. We played for about, I mean, after the guy taught us, we probably played for a good 30 minutes or so. Um, and I really enjoyed the game. I felt like I was getting the hang of it, which is not a feeling I ever have in a heavier game usually. I'm always just like, meh, 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 meh. <laughs> um, But I really enjoyed that game. I think it's because uh, action selection tends to be something that I enjoy more because it gives me a bunch of options laid out as opposed to me having to just make every single decision for myself. Can one of you two tell me briefly what is unique or special about that game? Because I keep seeing it get 
buzz and I don't get it, I guess. Like, I don't know what the hook is or what. I would say it has a lot to do with the theme and then the combination of the mechanics. Yeah. Because it's a game that makes you feel like you have a lot of options. So briefly, just give like a quick high, high level overview of the game. You're designing a network of underwater domes to create your city. And you have to build the domes, build the tunnels, build the farms and factories that uh, power it. But it's a combination of cards as well as actions you can select on the board to get the resources or build things. And if you play the right card um, that matches the sim- like the color of the action you're taking, you'll get to take a bonus action from the card. So you can build up some nice chains okay. and get uh, some other bonus actions. So it's just kind of like the way everything combos and just kind of the flow and feel of the game. Ultimately, if I can ever get my hands on a copy, I'd love to do an episode with that and Terraforming Mars. Okay. Because it gives me some Terraforming Mars feelings, mm-hmm. but like they, they're very different. I could see that. It's less about... You're not so much as building a tableau. Like you have a small tableau mm-hmm. uh, in underwater cities, but they both kind of have this cool colonization that you know isn't disrupting the indigenous people so i'm a big fan of that kind of colonization sounds good i guess i guess it is disrupting fish but (laughs) you know what's another big positive for me every game that i played this year was colorblind friendly at least for me no really there wasn't a single game that i had to be like "Mm, i can't play this because i can't tell the difference between these colors if colors were the main thing if the colors were hard for me to, to differentiate, they had good symbols to separate everything, and the symbols really popped. So it wasn't like I had to sit there studying a card to figure out what I could do with it. Yeah, oh, that reminds me. So last year, uh, the mind was kind of our go-to quick card game when oh, we had yeah. a few minutes of downtime. This year, we went with Illusion from Panasaurus Games, uh, where you're laying down cards, and there's these just different designs on the cards and they're all composed of red blue yellow and green and you're trying to uh, ascend them as they come out in terms of percentage of a particular color so you want to make sure that the card that comes out you're deciding how much red it has compared to all the other colors um, that are already out there all the other cards that are already out there it was tricky yeah it was very tricky and very deceptive but the thing that really like blew me away was that it what like we had two colorblind people in our group and they're both able to play the game. Yeah, so two differently colorblind people yeah. too. So what, I, whatever thought went into the game, I appreciated that. One of my standout games at the con and a game that I will buy instantly, but also my short play game was Medium uh, by Greater Than Games. I loved this game. <laughs> it's super simple. I almost it's one of those games that I hesitate to say almost isn't even a game. It's just great, and basically you just have a hand of cards, and you play with the person next to you, then they play with the person next to them, and then that person plays back with you. And you're basically trying to put down a card, the other person puts down a card, each of them have a word on them, and your job is to psychically, without speaking, come up with the word that unifies those cards. And it doesn't sound like much, and if you get it right, great, you get the most points possible. If not, whatever two words you threw out, so if you said penguin and, like, crypt, that's now the thing that you have to make a match between. And you're like, okay, penguin crypt. Yeah, I, ob- there's an obvious answer for that one. And then you just shout it out. It's great. I, I love it. So I will forever, when I think of this game, we were at uh, the Secret Cabal's meetup at um, Gordon Birch and just sitting at a table off to the side playing this game. And I 
don't know who it was from our group of friends, but one person had said the word bread and the other person said the word American. So then the way the game works is that if you say the wrong thing, yeah, as Josh explained. (laughs) So when looking at the words American and bread, the two people locked eyes and the count of three both said the word white and then both gave each other a large high five. And we had to remind people, please don't high five, like yell white and high five each other in public because it just projects the wrong message. I think my highlight from that game is playing the card Angel, <laughs> having first. someone else play the card Canoe, and then someone's <laughs> word for those things was Pocahontas. And when asked why that was their word, it was because she was dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pocahontas, the angel of canoes. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. <laughs> It's fine. I am excited for that game. Yeah, that, it's, that's a really it's super good. I also love Greater Than Games. There, one like I, my buddy Craig, who works. Shout out to Craig at the, the booth there. I met a demo person from the Greater Than Games booth who lives four blocks away from me. Mm-hmm. That was cool. So I got a new gaming buddy out of the mm-hmm. um, situation. So yeah, really love that company. I actually got to see. I'm not allowed to talk about them, but I got to play test and look at the new spirits uh, for Spirit Island. Ugh, They're I'm coming so out soon. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was pretty pretty sweet. So I just saw them um, <laughs> looking at them playing coffee in the morning and i was like oh i, I know this guy so i hung out with them and i was just like these are the playtest notes yeah um, and, i mean we all we say this every time greater than games comes up but they are one of the most inclusive yeah, companies out there really just always so representative of all walks of life yep. and just have been doing it for such a long time mm-hmm. talk about the game you want to talk about you know what it is okay so i finally got to play just smartphone inc and i <laughs> was trying <laughs> without <laughs> He's giddy. He's so giddy. I can't tell you how excited he is right now. I have been hearing so much positive buzz about Smartphone Inc. ever since it uh, came out at Essen. And it was like, it's one of those things I was like, man, like, how could it possibly live up to that? And we sat down and played. And as soon as when they ended the demo after three rounds, I was heartbroken because I wanted to play it through to the very end just to see it because that it was amazing. So Smartphone Inc. is being brought over by, I believe it was Arcane Wonders. If you're still hearing this, that means it was Arcane Wonders, and I didn't edit it out later on. But it is a game where you are create you're a company that's making and selling smartphones back in the dawn of smartphones. But it just does a couple things that are just really cool. At the beginning of the round, everyone is secretly taking these two boards and putting them behind a shield. And the boards have different symbols, they're double-sided. You have to have the boards overlap at least over one square, but whatever symbols you're showing are what your possible actions are going to be for that round. So you get to make a really great decision just to even start the game. And then the board art is so clean, so nice. Uh, you're, you're trying to develop these different smartphones and develop different features, set your price. It's, it's a lot to discuss right now, but basically set your boards, get your actions, set your prices, work on unlocking other features, work on opening different cities on the board to try to sell smartphones to the most number of people. There's a good level of player interaction and it's so fast. It plays only in five rounds. Our demo is only three rounds, but it it went really fast. I feel like once we get it to the table, it's going to be a game where you feel like you're doing a lot in a short amount of time. Um, so excited. I think believe it's being kickstarted towards the end of this year and i will be a day one backer it it was good i mean i did enjoy it i i loved it more than i think anyone else and i i will 
come down and normalize myself to it. But <laughs> I, when I got done playing it, I was just like, I just need to go home and burn every other game I have because all I need is this now. That reference was made multiple times regarding Smartphone Inc. Multiple times after we would play a great game and he'd go, you know, I still would burn every other game in this hall if I could get Smartphone Inc. <sighs> I can't tell, though, if you're more excited for Smartphone Inc. or that banana pudding. Um, I would still up. say Smartphone Inc. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I love that banana pudding. Yeah, wow. you do. I got to see, um, speaking of, we talked about Illusion earlier, which I think is by Wolfgang Warsh, the same yes. guy that did the yep. mine. So um, I got a peek of one of his other games that's going to be coming to America, again, out in Germany already. Um, but North Star Games is going to be bringing Die Tavern in Thiefenthal. Nice. It means the tavern in the deep woods. Okay. I hope they give us a different title, but whatever. But um, really similar to his Quacks of Quindenberg game that I really enjoyed, but a little bit more, um, well, significantly more gamery. But basically, you're tavern keepers, and you get sort of a press to like, draw a bunch of card options, which are people at your tables. And then kind of like in Grand Austria Hotel, you're using dice to manipulate things, but there's sort of a rondelle thing going on. Looks really interesting. Um, it's been getting great press, and I, I, so I got to take a peek at that. And it, it looks great. The board is this cool modular puzzle piece with these cardboard inserts that you can upgrade and flip and like it's it's literally a toy within itself and the board is amazingly well designed so i was i was pumped for that when that comes out so another game that i'm actually just as excited about as i am for smartphone inc and depending on when you ask me i may have been more excited for it uh was obscurio by Josh, can you help me with the pronunciation of the publisher? That one I don't know. (laughs) But so Obscurio gave me really great Mysterium vibes. In the game, it's kind of like Mysterium with a hidden traitor. Josh, you had more of an in-depth demo than we did. Can you describe the game? Oh, a little bit. Um, So it is a, in the vein of Dixit Mysterium, it is sort of a discovery, you know, groupthink kind of a game. There are beautiful images one player is a grimoire, 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 yeah. sacred book, and you're all sort of mages that are trapped in this um, enchanted maze, castle, room, wherever. Um, you're trapped and you're trying to identify a door to go out. And there are six doors that are presented to you, and those doors are represented by these image discs. Um, and there's the opportunity for um, there to be information given to you about which door you're all trying to go to. And what you're ultimately trying to do is reach consensus. So you really want everyone to go to the right door and to go to the same door. Um, you have a limited time to sort of determine where that is to go. But one player, there's a hidden traitor within this game. And they are seeding the doors with doors that are either really similar to the clues that have been given or just anything sort of to sow dissent. There are traps involved in the game. Um, so their mission is to... The, the tracker is basically the amount of discord within the group. So for everyone that goes to either a different door or something, you lose cohesion. And when the group eventually gets broken, um, you can get trapped in the maze forever. So the the evil magician, his demented, wants this to happen. Um, but all the other people want to escape. So that's sort of the dynamic going on here at play. And I, I don't remember specifically how the clues are given. There's these two little markers that sort of point to specific parts of two images that you're trying to figure out, like, okay, is that pointing to the like the color or the light or like the button on her pocket or something like that? But it's it's basically just honing in on a piece of an image and then asking you to find the similarity between that and the other images that are put out. Yeah, it gave me vibes of Mysterium meets Muse with a hidden traitor element thrown in. So I was really, really excited for it. I'm very excited for the game to come out. And short of the Mysterium too. 
Yes. Not quite as long of a playtime as Mysterium, which can be good sometimes because mm-hmm. some, Mysterium shouldn't drag, but it can sometimes. Yeah, and our group love Mysterium, so yep. I think that game is going to do very well in our yep. group. Yeah, I think the best part of that to me is having that hidden traitor. I'm not big on cooperative games usually, and even Mysterium is kind of like there's some competitiveness to it because you're like, I'm going to be the first to finish my thing. But I like the idea that there will still be someone that's able to uh, gum up the works who's working against you the whole time. And that was Obscurio. I finally got to play Endeavor Age of Sail, which is a really popular Euro sort of sailing exploration game that I've had my eye on for a while. I thought it was really good. I didn't ultimately end up buying it. But um, notable thing about that game is it really tackle slavery in a very overt um, and upfront manner like where you have the option of using slavery to develop your your colony basically but you'll be penalized for it if europe becomes lightened down the road and there are steps that you can take to enlighten europe to free all the slaves and if you've gone the slavery route you'll be penalized for it and it was so that was a really interesting thing that that game had that you don't see in a lot of those typical um, colonialism based settler games so that i liked and i have to give a shout out i think my new thing about cons, I think, is going to be to find the most ridiculous theme I can and just buy the game. So Chris and I ultimately bought a game called Gem Hens, which is a game about chickens eating gems in a Russian... They're Russian chickens eating gems for Russian chicken herders for some reason, and then they will eventually lay Fabergé eggs, which you are building the gems into little patterns of color so that your Fabergé egg is the most beautiful of all the chickens that have pecked in the, the, the chicken yard um and found the gems that they want to eat so um a little bit more mean-spirited than i had imagined chris and i loved it and we're like i think it was like 20 bucks and we went looked each other and said yep this is it this is what we're buying so that was <laughs> that's how that game came into my collection that was gem hens <laughs> we sat down and demoed tukey from plan b games oh man so this is oh i forgot about that one too <laughs> so tukey is a game where you're taking different shape blocks and Everyone is trying to position the blocks so they match the shape shown on a card. And the last person that's able to create the shape or recreate the shape then takes the card. They're now the judge for the next round, so on and so forth, until uh, someone gets five cards in front of them. Then that signals the last round, which is the only round that actually counts. And they will show one last card. And the first person to complete that shape is then the winner. It's a super fast game. It is stressful in a fun way um it's it's pretty light it's not something that i personally am going to put in my collection but it was really fun for what it was and just that very short very family weights uh kind of rapid fire game i learned that i'm terrible at this game like <laughs> oh, it is yeah. same here like kryptonite to me mm-hmm. i i really thought that i'd be good at it and i i couldn't do it i couldn't figure out how with this limited number of pieces to make the shapes happen and i just got infinitely frustrated and i was like oh i don't need to own this this is it's good like don't get me wrong if people are into that like chris liked it a lot the people at the table that i was playing with really liked it i just failed every time (laughs) my brain i could have been mentally tired and i had learned a lot of games that day at that point but for some reason that spatial relation puzzle which is not something i'm usually bad at but just couldn't do it you know on the opposite side of that same uh company they had that men at work game which was like adult jenga and I love playing that game. Um, as for another game where you're stacking things, this one's at least a little more fluid in how you're able to do it. Uh, but I think it gave sort of almost the same sort of feel as that uh, as Chuki did, uh, 
which I actually enjoyed more than Tukey, and I would have bought it, but you know, I'm not made of money. <laughs> uh, we, for another just quick game that we bought, uh, was One Night Ultimate Supervillain. It's in the yeah. One Night series, um, like One Night Ultimate Werewolf, Vampire, Alien, and now they're supervillains. And which I think played pretty similarly, I have oh, to say. Yeah. They're yeah, I mean, definitely really similar. It's basically an expansion, but yeah. it's an expansion where like a lot of the characters do the same thing. Yep. But if you enjoy One Night Ultimate Werewolf and you just want another one of them, One Night Ultimate Supervillains out there, it's cool. So I think that covers pretty much... I mean, that actually doesn't cover all the games no, that we played. Doesn't. But like, but if we just keep going, it's, it's going to get kind of repetitive. Three hour yeah, episode. seriously. <laughs> um, but I, I, those are pretty much the top games for me. I'm sure there's things I was forgetting because there was a lot of really great games that were there this there year. Were, there uh, were a lot of games. But like, what was your guys? What were your guys's favorite moments from the convention this year? Well, for me, my favorite part, um, I think, winds up being the meetups. So we've, we've gone to the Secret Cabal meetup all three years, and this year we also went to Blue Pig, Pink Pig. And despite the fact that we're, well, me and Aaron are both really terrible at, like, talking to other people, <laughs> um, I just have fun being with everyone, having some drinks. Uh, if the atmosphere is just so good, because I know that if I did walk up and start talking to somebody, they're not going to be like... Though so you nerd, you play board games, what a loser. Because everyone there is mm -hmm. a nerd and plays board games. And I think it's really cool to be able to just meet industry people, uh, you know, because designers are sometimes at these things. To meet the other people that do podcasts is really great. Um, and so those meetups for me are my favorite part of the whole convention. I mean, because that was a great time. They, they put on such a great meetup because it was Blue Pig, Pink Peg with Brawling Brothers and Man vs. Meeple. That's right. And Patrick from Blue Pig, Pink Peg. I think I saw him talk to every single person that came to that meetup. Like, take time to talk to every single person. Like, there was a, a line to get in if you showed up too early, um, which we did. And <laughs> Patrick literally went down that line and didn't just say hi to people, but, like, made efforts to get to know every single person that came out there. And there was just something so genuine and so incredible about that that's was amazing so yeah, he talked to i think everyone in that line mm -hmm. and not only like just introduced himself but then asked people what they were looking forward to at the convention more than anything um and just just stood there for probably a few minutes with each group of people just talking to them yeah um so it was great to meet him uh, that was phenomenal i think my favorite moment so it's still weird and we're going to talk about it later i i have two favorites which i know is cheating <laughs> um but it's a kiki so i'm cheating yeah, anyway um one of my favorite moments is seeing my friends that I've seen for a while. I had a really nice time at the Columbus Board Gamers meetup that I went to. Um, they did a Candyland theme meetup um, because it was the 50th anniversary of Candyland, so all the tables <laughs> were different cover. But they made a life-size Candyland track and then just held up cards and had everyone walk in the roll-and-write style, like, which was just really cute and fun. And they had a great raffle. Like, I ended up wanting, um, winning a couple games that I wasn't expecting to win. So um, shout-out to them. I think they organized a really nice event for everyone, and I... Then throughout the days at the at the convention, um, I knew several faces from that, so that was a really nice thing to do. And then my favorite moment of the con, personally, was I was demoing a game. I don't even remember what it was. It was next to Endeavor Age of Sale, but I was demoing a game, and someone walked up behind me and told the demoer, and they're like, "Do you only know who that is? That's one of the men on board." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and they got flustered and like. Oh, I like need to change my tone with this media person. I was like, no, no, it's cool. We're very niche. 
and I just started laughing. Curse was teasing me the entire rest of the day. But then for the rest of the con, every time I walked out the booth, she'd be like, I see you. I see you, man. <laughs> You're famous. And I'd be like, I'm not famous. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. Like, yeah. That was a weird ego pat on the back. Ridiculous and, thing. And that was from Superfan Rob. Yeah, it was. We, uh, seriously. We were going to talk about you later, Rob. Yeah, it was yeah, but, it's perfect time for it just because uh, it's so much fun hanging out with him. Yeah. I'm so glad that he found us and like talks to us and everything. And it's the best. Just such a nice guy. Like Rob is one of my highlights of the convention. Yeah. And he's become now someone that I look forward <laughs> to coming back and seeing just because he's a genuinely good person. We need a game with him next year. He stayed in the same I hotel know. as us. Like, I know. It's ridiculous that we didn't play a game with him. I know. So he was he, gaming in his bathroom. I was say, he and his wife were gaming in their bathroom. That's why we didn't see Yeah, Because <laughs> their children were asleep, but I thought it was a great image. Um, uh, the other, I mean, when we're talking about Rob, we also yeah. have to talk about Tim Veering. Sticker uh, Tim. Yeah, who we met last year when he came up to us uh, at the Secret Ball meetup and gave us stickers. And has just been such a supporter of the podcast, like really doing everything he can to signal boost us. And is just a truthfully genuine good person uh he was doing demoing for or working at the booth for thunderworks games and such a nice guy like every time i see him it just puts like a smile on my face because he's so nice and so positive yeah says hi to everyone yes if you're at that booth and you're talking to him it's like you're the you're the person you're the man you're the guy Mm -hmm. um and then people are walking by and he's always like screaming out highs and hellos and handshakes and hugs um, and I think just not, not even signal boosting our stuff, he signal boosts a lot yes. of smaller designers and smaller companies and other podcasts. And it, it's always done in such a positive way. I don't, mm. I, you could probably not find one single person to say a negative thing about Tim. I mean, and, that, who's that character from Firefly that boosts the signal? Let's, oh, he's Mr. Mr. Universe. Universe. <laughs> <laughs> my comparison for tim <laughs> well it's just and it's like on sunday like at the very end of the convention he's still just like in such a good mood yeah it keeps his like i don't know how you keep your energy up for that long but he's a wonderful person like seek him out because he's a really great guy That's also it. okay <laughs> there was a moment this year where i was walking going up the escalator to the open gaming room and i had my men on board t-shirt on and someone a group of people i I don't really know someone yelled out men on board to me and in my haze of just trying to go secure a table and not even thinking that anyone would say anything to me it took me a good five seconds for me to realize that someone had said anything about men on board so if that was you feel free to let us know i'm sorry that i missed you but uh we will be back at origins next year so if you're there again this time i will not accidentally ignore your call (laughs) I think ending there is perfect because this is actually our 50th episode that we've ever released because we this will be our sixth Kiki along with the 43 regular episodes in episode zero. So quick math, that is 50 episodes. So just thank you guys. Like, thank you guys for listening to this and for wanting to hear what we have to say. Just, I, I always say it. This is just our group of friends. We always talk about board games. They're like, oh, why don't we put mics in front of it and see if someone else enjoys it? So just thank you for enjoying it and keep talking to us because we love talking to you guys. We do love feedback. It really it really does make us feel good. If you like leave us reviews or stuff like that, it's it's nice to see. Yeah, I mean it it's it's amazing. Like it, it's just so insane to describe what it's like to like send this out into the ether and then have someone like have it bounce back and have right. someone have a reaction yeah, to woo. it. 
and have people like talk to us about the things we like because that's all we want to do is just like things with other people so keep liking things with us we, we really appreciate you guys yeah we sit here and talk about board games we want to talk about board games with you guys too yeah and maybe maybe next year will be the first year that we try to have some sort of like actual meetup or something who That'd knows cool yeah maybe we'll try to partner up with someone that's a good idea yeah so with that i think we're gonna wrap up this kiki uh come back in one week where the category is going to be theme parks and we're going to take a look at dinosaur island and unfair our music was provided by the band Delicious Pastries. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at menonboardpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at menonboardpodcast. Find us on Twitter at menonboardpod. We have a guild over on Board Game Geek. Our website is menonboardpodcast.com. Men on Board Podcast is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network of Podcasts. Find other great podcasts over at dicetowernetwork.com. Thank you for listening and good night. Night, everyone. Good night. All right, we have been vaping, vape, vamping, 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 vaping all day long. We've been vaping Tons all day. Content.